0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are at the end of 2020. Thank God. Very, very (laughs) uh, eventful year. Uh, in many ways, a terrible, terrible year on so many fronts. I mean, you know, the obvious one being the pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans and has wrecked the economy and and, uh, led to even people who have remained healthy, losing their jobs, having great uh, economic insecurity... So many bad things. Uh, for many of us, it ended on a hopeful note when when uh, Donald Trump was defeated, even if he doesn't realize that yet, or he realizes it, even if he won't admit it yet. I mean, this is one of the most fascinating things about about um, Donald Trump. It's always been to me is that there's I, I don't think his mind works with a like for most of us there can be a big disjuncture between what we believe and what we say, right? I mean, you, 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 uh, hopefully for most of us, you, you, what you say is what you believe and, and things are coherent and consistent. Um, but if you say something that is different from what you believe, there's a kind of a dissonance, but with Donald Trump, I, I, I have never thought that exists. I think you say what is helpful and, and, um, what you believe is sort of something that just, uh, is a, is a sort of a secondary condition of what you say. You know, I, I say it, therefore I believe what I say, but it's, it's, it's just, it doesn't exist as a, for him, as a separate, um, a separate reality, as, as a, a, a separate, you know, frame of cognition. Um, so a uh, little little detour there. Um, before I, before I introduce my co-host, let me just remind you really quickly for the last, Last time in 2020, we're looking at another dark, frigid winter with a 99% chance of crushing depression and Zoom fatigue. Warm up the winter blues with Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit. With 36 servings per bag, our velvety smooth coffee concentrate is brewed strong with a caffeine kick. You can enjoy hot or iced. Just add water. Ready to it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'scoldbrew.com. With promo code TPM. So, uh, my 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 revered co-host, uh, David, co-hosts David and Kate, what is up? What are we talking about for this final episode of 2020?
2: What is up? Well, Kate, first of all, thank you for joining us on your holiday break. It's good to see you, and glad you could um, glad you could make it. <laughs> well, I thought we could. Um, you know cap off 2020 with a bit of a look towards 2021 uh because just after the new year we have a special i guess like two runoff elections in georgia for all the marbles control of the senate at stake and kate you've been covering that really closely for us so i'm I'm glad you're available to join us today and kind of like you know look ahead a little bit um you know, some of the big news this week was Donald Trump trying to torpedo the stimulus-slash-government funding bill to demand $2,000 checks for Americans. That's an increase over the $600, uh, I guess, agreement that Republicans and Democrats uh, reached. And interestingly, Leffler and Purdue, the two Republican incumbent senators in Georgia, signed on to that agreement, right? Which uh, is a bit counterintuitive, but when the president and leader of the party... Puts you know puts his weight behind it. Uh, that's that's sort of the result. What are you looking for, Kate, in this last week? Um, hard to believe, yeah. It's like less than a week away now. Um, what are you looking for in the last week? What should our listeners kind of be paying attention to? I guess Trump is going back to campaign there, and uh, Harris and Biden are as well. But uh, what else is on your radar?
0: Yeah. So like you say, D.T. Um, we had this check situation that put Leffler and Purdue, especially into a very uncomfortable position because Trump, who had showed pretty complete indifference to the COVID relief negotiation, suddenly decided that he wanted higher direct checks to people, held the relief package that was finally grudgingly, painstakingly passed hostage for a few days, um, ultimately signed it. And now You have McConnell in this situation where most of his caucus doesn't want to sign on to the $2,000 checks, but you have Loeffler and Purdue being hammered day in and day out by the Democrats in Georgia for, here's a direct in your face example of how they will not help you during this pandemic. Um, So they have to say that they'll support it. And the way that McConnell seems to be getting around that is by crafting another proposal that lumps the $2,000 checks in with Trump's kind of ridiculous bugaboo about um, stripping the liability shield from social media companies and setting up, um, you know, an election security panel to basically try to... Seems like it would underscore Trump's claims of, you know, fabricated fraud. So basically lumping in the checks with these poison pills for Democrats to ensure that it absolutely won't pass, but that Purdue and Leffler get to say... We tried. We tried to give you the checks, and Democrats wouldn't let it happen. Um, So that's where we're kind of at with that stage of things. And then You know, meanwhile, early voting has been happening in Georgia for weeks. We've now passed 2.5 million people who have already voted. Um, And, you know, it's always a little dangerous to extrapolate from early voting numbers because you have no idea how much of that is being cannibalized from the Election Day vote. Um, But there are some good signs for Democrats. And the biggest indicator so far seems to be the increased share of the Black turnout from the general, which has been consistently higher every day so far, um, particularly black voters who live in rural areas have been voting at higher amounts while white rural voters have been experiencing like a very depressed turnout so far. Um, Again, you know, we got to wait and see what happens election day. But that's what's uh, happening so far. And then we kind of had this uh, flurry of announced rallies to which are interesting, because at this stage in the game, you know, this is the last time they're going to get their primaries on the ground. And um, it's, it kind of shows you where where the parties see their biggest you know strengths and weaknesses right now. For instance, um, Kamala Harris will be going up on Sunday, and she'll be going to Savannah, where turnout has kind of lagged behind the general election, so a clear effort to try to spark some last-minute uh, voters there. And then you have on Monday, Trump is going to Dalton, which is really interesting because it's in the 14th congressional district, which will be represented by the QAnon friendly Marjorie Green, and which has had the lowest turnout of any congressional district in the runoff so far, which is fascinating because Marjorie Green has been one of the biggest, this was a rigged election people, you know, so we've been this whole cycle trying to figure out if calling an election rigged has any demonstrable effect on you know, people who believe that's voting behavior. And this seems to be an example where at least they see the bleeding there as bad enough to send Trump their heaviest hitter in the last days of the election. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's our up-to-date, where we are now situation um, with really, you know, we were marveling off air that next week, it's next week, it's on Tuesday. It's in less than a week, you know? it's just, I know, time, is, time <laughs> this year
2: has been just totally... You know, hard to get your Non-linear. head around. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The holiday, the holiday season always scrambles that too. Josh, yeah. we were talking before we started recording too. I mean, there aren't a ton of reliable polls. I mean, the races, both races, seem to uh, to be about a dead heat, right? I mean, could and, go and, either and, way. And
1: basically, it's from the beginning, or at least for, for when, from when I think it was two or three weeks after the November election, before there was the first poll. But I feel like pretty much from the beginning, all of the polls have you know, range from one candidate, two or more, you know, two or three percentage points ahead of the other tops and back and forth. So basically just, you know, like a dead heat all throughout. Kate, one one thing I wanted to ask you, you mentioned before about the rural black vote. Um, What are give us i mean I, I can under i can imagine a lot of reasons why the urban black vote in georgia and the rural black vote have you know different characteristics but w- was there underperformance in, in the rural black vote in in the in the in the general like walk us through the differences what's you know what seems to be changing anything like that
0: well i think it's i mean the big overarching theme is that black turnout was a bit Disappointing in Georgia for the general, um, you know, like underran the Obama years, uh, things like that. So it's kind of a case of almost what Biden did in a lot of those um, those swing counties where he, you know, even if he didn't win them, he lost them by less. I think you're kind of seeing those margins um, kind of being driven up by the outpouring of support in, you know, Atlanta, the the city strongholds, but when you have this kind of void of, uh, you know, the, just the, in these areas, like the 14th district, that is supposed to be, you know, home run. That's where you, if you're a Republican, you count on a lot of your votes. And I think any kind of tempering of that support plus rising support from the black communities in those areas is just, you know, from from the data people that I've kind of been following seems to be just a bit of a, a warning sign. You know, you would expect even with the holiday break to see some more early vote coming from them. And if you're a Republican, you know, you don't want to be a situation going into election day where you're like, people absolutely must show up in huge numbers or we're done for.
1: Is, is there any sense that, that, uh, the African American community in Georgia maybe at some level or for some slice of that electorate didn't believe that it was possible they were sending a, a you know a, a a black man to be senator from Georgia and now you see it it's the it's the runoff and so that has you know
0: i think that provided
1: some level of boost
0: i think that's a really significant factor not least because Warnock is not just like Kind of any black guy in Georgia. Like he's got deep, deep, deep roots. You know, he's at Martin Luther King's church now. He used to head up Stacey Abrams' New Georgia organization. Like he's very enmeshed in that kind of, uh, you know, those mobilization, you know, activists right, kind right, of right. grassroots, which is why, like we said, polling has been so sketchy in Georgia. And, um, you know, I was telling my co-host off air that i talked to the the ceo of survey usa which is a a really good poll that has done two of the race and even he said he's rarely seen such a completely unreadable situation do took all these different headwinds of you know it's hard to pull a a runoff as it is it's hard after a presidential election it's hard when you've got one side saying that the election was rigged, which is something we haven't really contended with before. It's hard when Trump supporters keep getting missed in the polls to begin with. So you kind of have all these factors. But, you know, with all that as a giant caveat, the polling I've seen oftentimes has had Warnock doing better against Leffler than um, Ossoff has been doing against Purdue, like marginally slightly. But I do wonder if that... Um, you know that's kind of factoring it. If he has mo- a bit more of that kind of groundswell support going for him, and then he also has the benefit of the that you know he didn't really take a ton of heat the first round because uh, Leffler and Collins were like tearing each other's throats out, and then Ossoff is he ran before in a runoff before in a very highly publicized runoff before, and he lost. So I think that's a bit of baggage he might be, you know, toting around as well.
1: It, it's occurred to me, it seems possible, I mean, who knows what will happen, but you can imagine a scenario where it's actually, uh, it's actually Warnock pulling Ossoff mm-hmm. over the finish line. Because, I mean, presumably, if you have a, and it's it's always important to remember for our listeners, you know, maybe you have, uh, you, you know, Three or four percent of the African-American electorate in Georgia figures, man, I really got to vote this, you know, just the the kind of that can easily be the difference when it's basically tied. Right. And Mm -hmm. presumably if you have and maybe it's in, you know, African-American voters in rural areas. If that is the margin, maybe they're showing up for Warnock, but certainly it, you, you'd assume that once they're there, they're also going to check the box for Ossoff, just because he's you know he's another Democrat and they're mm-hmm. kind of running together as a team and all that kind of stuff. So you can kind of that would be sort of a, you know a, a weird scenario, and it probably I would assu- assume, and I mean again, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. The idea that both these guys are going to win, but if that did happen and you had very strong African-American turnout, uh, especially relative to the general election, that probably would be the most logical interpretation right. of what happened.
0: And, you know, a pretty big lesson to the Democrats, should that happen, that, you know, recruiting candidates of color is a should be a massive priority, you know?
2: Yeah, well, speaking of... You know the, the the outcome, the result. If, it seems like if Purdue and or Leffler go down immediately, they'll cry. You know, voter fraud or rigged election, and it will just be the sort of convenient uh, echoes of of Trump's argument. Kate, okay, what are the what's what are the different scenarios? If it is close, if it doesn't quite get resolved on uh, the night of January fifth, I mean, we have the electoral college certification vote the next day um, in Congress. Uh, I guess e- both of these. Senate races—the you know—the winner would be kind of certified or sworn in pretty much immediately. You were saying earlier that uh, Purdue's term just runs out kind of when the new Congress, uh, you know, forms and comes together, and and Leffler is filling Johnny Isaacson's seat, and so there's a few more years in that term. But what are the what are the various scenarios that could play out if um if it's a close race, if there are demands for a recount, if there are you know, just, I don't know, snafus or COVID-related, I guess, you know, uh, hurdles to com- right. to overcome?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, just a refresher uh, on Georgia's recount process is it has to be within half a point. There's no automatic recount in the state. So the losing candidate can request one if it's within that margin. Um, an election official, you know, like the Secretary of State, who's been very, you know, outspoken kind of since the general election. He can also request a recount if there are, you know, quote unquote irregularities um, in the results. And that's something we we can probably expect if it ends up being as close as polling seems to indicate. Um, Not least because not, you know, even putting the losing candidate thing aside, Raffensperger, he's the secretary of state, has um, kind of showed an inclination to do to go along with like recounts and audits. I mean, the Georgia's vote ballots from the general election must be like paper thin by this point after being thumbed over so many times. So, you know, he might just say, okay, fine to show you whatever, whatever, you know. So I think the the key thing here is we can expect whatever happens on the 5th that Well, not whatever happens. If the Republicans lose on the 5th, there's going to be litigation this next week. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, we were in this position a few months ago when we were talking about this happening with the general, it coming down to one state. And we talked about how much easier it is to kind of steal an election when all you need is like one judge to go along with it or something. And we will be facing a situation like that but if that happens. But I see a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel is that I've been following these constant Republican lawsuits pretty closely that have been lodged, you know, just day in, day out by uh, the state party, by the committees for the candidates, by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. They're, you know, they're silly. They can be based on arguments that have been dismissed already, but it's just like throwing the spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And almost uniformly. And they've been, you know, one um, assistant to the state attorney general described it as, you know, they're shopping around for judges, trying to find those who will be most sympathetic to their causes. And that's absolutely what they've done. They've lodged these challenges in, you know, every different slice of the district court. They've done it at county level. Um, So, and we've seen a pretty uniform rejection from judges of, both, you know, Democratic and Republican appointment, just saying, you know, I'm not gonna mess with the election like this. This is, and you, you know, most of them say you don't have standing, plus this has no merit to begin with. So if that's kind of a initial test, I'd say the the legal system in Georgia has held up. Um, but I guess the concern that has to lurk in the back of your mind is that they'll find some, if they lose, they'll find some preface to challenge it and you know, the big worry is that it'll get up to the Supreme Court, and we'll see if those justices will do what Trump put them in office to do for a later election.
1: Let, let me say one 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 thing about that. I I do wonder. I mean, you know, if it's if it's if it's close enough, I think they'll try to steal it. There's no question. But I do wonder if everything that has happened over the last two months has put them in a bit of a worse position because like everybody's gotten used to like a lot of these judges just have their kind of template mm-hmm. of the, of the get out, you know, kind of shut the fuck up, you know, decision. Um, and, and there's not that they had a lot of credibility, but the state party, the Trump campaign, the two Senate campaigns, have made so many just absurd arguments. Um, and uh, even a lot of these Republican judges and even Republican office holders like the Secretary of State, the governor, have gotten used to sort of like shutting Trump down. Now, I have no question that... That like if they have something that's like in within the margin that's like you know that's plausible, I'm sure Brian Camp will be like, you know, <laughs> falling over himself to re-trumpize himself, right? Mm-hmm. But I do wonder whether it's you know, they, they've 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 uh, y- you know, weakened themselves a bit.
0: I agree with that and I what I kind of see as the bigger threat are this knee-jerk reaction to make voting more difficult in Georgia, which we've already kind of seen the groundwork being laid for. Um, Like Raffensperger said that he would support getting rid of the state's no-excuse absentee voting, you know, bringing it back to mandating an excuse again, um, strengthening investigations of newly registered voters. So that, to me seems like the bigger risk from where we are, that we're going to just kind of see the state legislative backlash of, you know, if the Democrats win, like, oh, my God, where state Democrats can win now, got to make it harder to vote to kind of establish Republican dominance.
1: I mean, that's that and that's been that that would not be a new pattern. That's been the pattern in the last 20 years. Every time we have a we have one of these elections, the Republican fallback is to you know, clamp down on voting, purge rolls. And, you know, we've seen it, we've seen it before. Mm
2: -hmm. That kind of sparked a question I had for both of you, really, which is, do you think we will ever have Republicans kind of accept a legitimate loss again? Or do you think, you know, as Trump fades, his cult of personality recedes, so to speak, that, I don't know, maybe some level of normalcy will return? Or is this just kind of the standard... Practice from now on that anytime a Republican loses, it must be rigged. It must have been stolen. It must it must be snatched back kind of um, from the jaws of defeat, I guess.
0: It's funny because I've been wondering that too. Because on the one hand, if saying your election is rigged and like lodging these ridiculous challenges, maybe it makes it more, gives you a, a shot at still getting to be the elected person you ran for. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? You know, in the the off chance you run into some, like, kind of psychotic judge who lets you do it. And, I mean, what would the downsides be? You know, like, we're not in a position where doing that loses you any legitimacy as a serious person in your party. So I guess it would only be your concern for the democracy, which doesn't seem to be too big a roadblock at the moment. I I guess,
1: to your point, there is... I, I do kind of feel like, and I think we've seen it how this January sixth thing is shaping up, that we're moving into a context in the Republican Party that if you don't try to overturn an election, that's like to- a total rhino move. Like you just <laughs> took the loss. What a lose, you know? What a what a loser. I mean, that really is kind of like that. You're that you're a wimp. That you're a rhino. Um, and I, I guess at some level, over time, maybe if you just it doesn't get you anywhere. People will will give it up. But I but I was wondering when we were trying to game out, um, you know, what the aftermath of the Senate of of these Senate races will be. You know, if the Democrat huge if if the Democrats both win, are you going to have you know what is the, you know presumably if in in the real world if it was maybe a thousand votes you're going to really litigate that and do a recount and stuff. But what would the margin be? I mean. It, there's, they're still trying to, to, you know, kind of uh, flip the Michigan thing, and he lost by like two or three points. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no margin. I mean, it, when, when you're, when you're into saying like, oh, but you know, um, I won the Nobel Prize, and now you're saying I lost re-election. You know, it, like, when you're into a certain level of this stuff, there's, there's, you, you know, there there's, there's no margin. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? It's it's knows? a it's a it's a bad
2: thing. We may find out in just six or so short days, I guess.
0: It's just <laughs> it's gonna be so nuts. Like we were talking about off air, we've got the Georgia runoffs. The next day is the vote to certify the Electoral College's vote, which we found out just before we came on the pod. Josh Hawley will be voting against it in the Senate, which means it'll be challenged in both chambers you know, stupidly, may I add, it's not going to do anything. You would need a majority in both chambers to overturn the Electoral College's votes. This does not matter. It's just dumb. But, um, yeah, and meanwhile, the MAGA types are coming into D.C. yet again and are going to, you know, go yell outside all the big buildings. So
2: I guess it's just Holly's opening 2024 salvo, right? It's sort of putting himself on the map. As the next Trump. <laughs> which uh,
0: I, I don't know. I You know, I talked to um, one professor I talked to when Josh and I were writing the If Trump Wins pre-write said, you know, I asked him what comes next? What happens if Trump loses? And he was talking about, you know, maybe we'll see a Josh Hawley, someone else who kind of has styled himself in this authoritarian way, come to the fore because, you know, that type of politics is clearly attractive to a big part of the Republican Party, which is like... Yeah, but Josh Hawley has the charm of a sea slug. Like, I just cannot imagine it, you know? (laughs) And it's not like Trump, like, knocks my socks off as this big charmer. But I can kind of see He's got a certain thing.
1: He's got a certain thing. Yeah, I can kind of see it.
0: Even, uh, But Josh Hawley, I'm just like, oh, my God. He's almost like Ted Cruz level of, like, just...
2: Just with a better haircut. Well, he's also kind of, I mean,
1: (laughs) not obviously Trump was born rich, but there's a... The one thing that I think Trump comes by legitimately is this sense of, perhaps manufactured, but this sense of social exclusion, of of wanting to be part of a world that he's not really accepted in, which which is a reality for him. I mean, you know, Crimea River, but you know, he's sort of you know that kind of. Uh, You know, outer boroughs, you know, uh, the kind of uncultured outer boroughs kind of thing, even if you're even if you make, you know, have a ton of money and, you know, wanting to be accepted as one of the big boys by the sort of the the Richies in Manhattan, the, you know, the power players. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people are kind of like ridiculous sleazoids themselves, but still, it's, it's, it's different. And there's that kind of thing that he, um, that, that, that has always motivated him. And you can see that that is what allows him to have that mind meld. With American conservatism, that sense of grievance, that, that, that all that kind of stuff. And, and Josh Hawley is like, what is he, like a banker's son who, you know, went to what? Stanford and Yale. And he's, he's like a little, like a douchey little guy. I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's just not, he doesn't, uh, I don't know who that I don't know who that person would be who could who can sort of operate in the in the Trump thing but I don't think it's Josh Hawley.
2: It's I the know. sort of classic case where the um you know the air is less kind of powerful than the I guess original patriarch or figurehead or whatever, you know.
0: Well, and speaking of air, people are always like, you know, Don Jr. 2024, which, you know, maybe he's got an appeal that I just can't see. But the part of it that seems like it would bother people who love Trump to me is Trump's fairly outright disdain for him. Like Trump doesn't pretend to like him very often. I don't know. Even if you're someone who adores Trump, maybe the family name is enough. But I don't know. Trump doesn't seem to think much of him.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe we can, since early 2021 is shaping up to be a very, uh, you know, very busy start to the year, maybe we could look back on 2020 as just, you know, an insane year. I don't know, Josh, you're, you know, you have more experience than Kate and I, both life and professional. (laughs) Um, I mean, have you ever... Can you recall a year of news uh, like we've just lived through? I mean, you know, we're just thinking through everything that's happened in 2020, which includes like the impeachment trial of President Trump, the um, assassination of an Iranian general that was maybe, you know, feared to spark like a third world war. I'm obviously the COVID pandemic, but so many things that kind of, you know, the Australian wildfires, which were at the worst of, in a generation or something like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, it
1: It's funny, I, I, I saw someone, uh, some historian being quoted saying, we've had big political crises, big economic crises, big pandemics, but we've never had them all in one year. And, and you know, there's even, here's something that you didn't even mention, and I wouldn't have either, just because there's so much stuff. Uh, George Floyd.
2: Yeah, George the, Floyd, the, exactly.
1: The, 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 the efflorescence of protests that dominated the middle of the year. And again, it's sort of like there's so much stuff that like you don't even I mean, everything kind of uh, either is driven by the pandemic or plays off the pandemic. You know, obviously, the George Floyd stuff wasn't, you know, caused by the pandemic. This is a this is something with decades and centuries of history. But I don't think there's any question that it played out, it it sort of caught hold the way that it did because of all the disequilibrium and tension and um, and people having had enough by the pandemic. Right? There's so I mean, even even the basic thing and and it sounds trivial, but I don't think it or trivializing, but I don't think it is. When you look at how you know, we've had other cases like this. I mean, that's the whole point. We've had cases like this forever. And, but but at a certain point, there are protests in Minneapolis and then it continues and then it's in New York and then it's in, you know, it, it goes everywhere. I don't think there's any question that some portion of that is everybody's been locked in their house for months. And it's not just, a, it, that's not just a matter of sort of reducing it to people are getting stir crazy, but you start thinking about things at a more basic, at, at, a, at, a, at a kind of a root level, right? You know, kind of like you see movies about pandemics, you never imagine you're going to live in one and you never imagine that you're, you're, the, the place you work is going to be shut down and you're at home and this relative is sick in the hospital and you've either lost your job or you're worried about, I mean, that that starts getting you to think about things at a basic, basic, basic level. Um, and again, when I, and, and, you know, I'm trying to be clear, I'm not being critical, I hadn't thought of it either, right? There's so many dimensions of things that happened in this year and, um, uh, and it's, it's funny because my own, and I would imagine that some other people also relate to this, that it is this terrible, momentous, chaotic year. And yet for myself, in some ways, it's been the tedium of it, you, you know, like uh, I'm at home Right. Kind of looking, looking for stuff to do. Right. (laughs) And, and uh, that is because, um, you know, I've been very lucky, you know, been lucky in ways in my whole life, but lucky this year, you know, I didn't get sick. Um, My own professional situation and our kind of collective TPM situation is one that we just started working from home and we didn't have, you know, disruptions in our, in our, in our salaries and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I would... But I think for a lot of people, you have that thing of on the one hand, it's it's scary and chaotic and all these things. And yet, at for a lot of us at the same time, there's... Uh, you're kind of stir-crazy that things are, are weirdly calm at the same time. Now, obviously... That's not the case for anybody who works in a supermarket, or uh, you know, is a is a is a driver in the subway, or the buses, or all the people who who have, you know, uh, uh, had to kind of pull us through this as healthcare workers and first responders and essential workers. You know, a, a phrase that we didn't even know a year ago. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's been a it's been a crazy year and I don't think I don't think we really know what the year has been about what it's what its aftermath is what its effects are you know we can we are sort of assuming slash hoping that over the course of the next six months that the COVID pandemic will kind of slowly recede into the background as, as, as more people get vaccinated. Um, and from one perspective, and, you know, Trump will, won't be president, Biden, all that kind of stuff. And from one perspective, you kind of say, okay, well, you know, Back to before, you know, before there was COVID. Uh, kind of back, you know, back to whatever normal was, and and I think I think a lot of us think that at some level, Biden will be kind of back to what we kind of remember from 2014 and 15, with you know, Democratic president, sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, constantly blocked by uh you know republican congress kind of like okay yep yeah, you know been there done that we remember how that works but i don't i don't think we really know what's coming because so much has happened in the last in the last 12 months uh economically health uh, all these kind of things. Just, just if you look at, um, if you look at history, you don't have. You know those. You know those. Uh, you know those little kind of Christmas little, little objects you used to get as little kind of party gifts, where you shake it up in the snow. You know, I don't know what those things are called, right? Snow
2: globe.
1: <laughs> okay, snow globe. Uh, you don't have cases where fate picks up the all of society shakes it around for months on end, and it kind of just goes back to how it was. That's not how it works. It's not how the Great Depression worked. It's not how World War II worked. It's not how, you know, a very, very different thing, but, you know, everything that came out of 9-11, it's, that's not how things work. Things change a lot. People's attitudes change a lot. Um, and I just, I, 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 I don't... Um, i don't I don't think we know what what the impact of all of this stuff is is going to be, and I don't think we I don't think we know enough about how much we don't know, right I think we all have a kind of a sense of like, oh yeah, I remember that when Obama was kind of like you know Merrick Garland and filibustering every blah 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 blah, and kind of like yep, yeah, you know we know what that's gonna be like. I don't think we know what any of it's gonna be like um and that that is both um you know, potentially hopeful and, you know, kind of scary at the same time.
0: And not to mention, I mean, we don't even know what the next two years will look like, even administrative-wise, you know. I mean, we can assume that the Republicans are going to win in Georgia, but that doesn't seem like a certainty from this point at any rate, you know. And that—those two races, I mean, it's been said so many times, but we'll— change the trajectory that our country is on you know in so many ways so it's like we're ending this weird year no one saw coming in this total fog of uncertainty
1: it's it's weird too because i mean i i i would kind of say that if i don't know exactly where the polls are but if you actually i i think most of the time the democrats have been you know like 0.3 percent ahead but I imagine, and I think rightly, you know, we just don't trust polls anymore. Certainly if you're, if you're, if you're a Democrat, right? They mm-hmm. just, just seemed, there just seems to be a lean that they, that they can't uh, get. Um, I, I, I mean, I am, I am discounting the idea that the Democrats are going to win. But I think everybody else is too. Everybody's assuming that, that Republicans control the Senate. It's sort of all the thinking about everything is that republicans control the senate and biden's got to operate in that in that framework um but it's certainly not impossible you know you can't say it's impossible when 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 biden just won the state right right i mean kind of by definition
2: yeah true yeah go ahead kate
0: i was gonna say I, i mean imagine kind of all the turmoil that josh just outlined especially you know the racial disparities in this country that have been laid so bare by the pandemic. And which I think some of that sentiment probably fueled the fear of the protests as well. The fact that, you know, the three of us, we all had, you know, job security. And, you know, for me as well, like Josh, you know, boredom has been a, a bigger feature of this. Whereas for other people, it's just been, you know, crippling despair. And a lot of that has played out over racial lines. Um, but just, think imagining for a moment that both Democrats did win, that Biden had a Democratic Senate. I mean, the legislation we'd be talking about would be so even if Biden is not the progressive guy that most people that people wanted, you know, he's not he's not Bernie Sanders. But the stuff we'd be talking about would be the most progressive legislation that we've seen in years, you know, and it's just I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I too I'm falling into that bucket of assuming the Republicans will win. I don't even know if that's more of just like a defensive maneuver or what, but I mean, the world the there are the world of possibilities if the Democrats did win, if Democrats did get control of the Senate, if they had all three branches for the first time coming off this year where the shortcomings of our government were so so stark. You just have to imagine that would fuel some some major you know legislation or pushes for change
2: yeah you're probably right well on that note let's we'll stay tuned and we'll be back on next wednesday i guess for uh hopefully with some idea of what happened the night before yeah. <laughs> but um,
1: although i guess that will be the night before i mean i wouldn't be i mean because again yeah. it, it it is almost it's almost impossible to imagine that that like someone wins by like seven or eight percentage points that just yeah, does right. not seem that does not seem in the cards um. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe we can check in the night of like we did with the general as well, even if things are still kind of shifty.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that yep. sounds good. All right. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Great yeah. uh, Thank Great year, even though it was a terrible year. <laughs> so remember, the, the uh, Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Great stuff. You can get 25% off your first order by going to Grady'sColdBrew.com and using the promo code TPM.
2: All right. Happy New Year, everyone.
1: All right.
0: Happy New Year.
1: Later. Bye.